Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Very good morning to you and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We're broadcasting live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. My name is Asanda Matsaunyane and in studio with me is Ann Musa, Wisani Matebula and Tami Kouza. Let's take a look at what's coming up on Africa Rise and Shine this hour. Lesotho opposition leaders fear for their lives. South Sudan army retakes Malakal, town from rebels. Repatriation of Somali refugees resumes in Kenya. In economics, Nigeria fuel marketers to end distribution embargo. And in sports, FIFA official challenges Nigerian referees. Let's first get the news though with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. Burundi's opposition boycotted peace talks with the government in protest at the killing of an opposition leader. This despite UN-led calls for dialogue to end a month of protests and violence in the East African country. Rights groups say at least 20 people have died since protests broke out after President Pierre Nkurunziza announced he would seek a third five-year term. Meanwhile, a protester was shot dead and two others injured during a protest rally in the southern part of Burundi as fresh protests resumed across the country. Hundreds of Libyan tribal leaders have met in Cairo, with Egyptian authorities hoping to enlist their help in preventing Islamist violence from spilling over their shared border. The Egyptian foreign minister inaugurated the tribal conference by highlighting the positive role the tribes could play in restoring stability to Libya. Analysts, however, say most of the tribes in attendance in Cairo were known supporters of the internationally recognized government, with supporters of its triply-based rival not well represented. Civil society organizations in Lesotho have called on the government to ensure the security of former Prime Minister and leader of the All-Basutu Convention, Tom Tabane, as well as the leader of the Basutu National Party. This after they fled the country, claiming they are plots to assassinate them. Human Rights Body Transformation Resource Center says the government must establish a fact-finding mission and explain its position or dismiss allegations that these opposition politicians are threatened by elements in the army. Former head of the UN's nuclear watchdog, the IAEA, Mohammed Al-Baradei, has accused the United Nations of being weak and not fully capacitated to carry out its mandate. Al-Baradei was delivering the 6th Tabumbeki Africa Day lecture at the University of Pretoria in South Africa last night. Al-Baradei, who used to work for the United Nations, lashed out that the worldly body accusing it of failing to respond to global social and security threats. Our international institutions, including the United Nations system of organization, to which I was part, have become anachronistic. They suffer from structural deficiencies, a lack of authority and resources. As a result, they have become 
polarized and paralyzed. Ironically, our most significant global threats today are threats without borders. Poverty, terrorism, climate change, weapons of mass destruction, they all need international cooperation. No one country can overcome them on its own. An urgent bid to stop the extradition of six Nigerian nationals to the U.S. is expected to come before the High Court in South Africa's capital, Pretoria, this morning. The six won the court to interdict South Africa's Justice Minister, Michael Masuta, from surrendering them to the U.S. authorities. A grand jury in America earlier issued warrants of arrests on allegations of cybercrime and defrauding the U.S. Postal Services. The accused were initially eight, but two were extradited last week, leaving the six in police custody. Pumzile Mlangeni reports. The eight are challenging the constitutionality of the order given by the magistrate's court in January. Their attorney, Tegasen Pillay, believes their detention without trial for over a year at the Khosimamburu Correctional Service Centre in Pretoria is simply a violation of their rights. The order that was issued is against the constitution as it allows for detention without trial. Pillay is also fighting for the return of the two accused who were sent to the U.S. until the matter has been concluded. And finally, police are looking through video surveillance footage in the hope of identifying the armed men who robbed delegates outside the Pan-African Parliament on Friday in Johannesburg. The delegates were from countries such as Ethiopia, Ghana, Mozambique and the UK. Police spokesperson Lungelo Tlamini says they believe the delegates were targeted when they left the airport. Police are investigating the incident of an armed robbery of the Pan-African delegates that were robbed on Friday. They were robbed before entering the hotel in Michigan. At this stage, we are looking at the footage, um, although we don't know how many suspects were involved, but the footage may help us with the investigation. At this stage, no one has been arrested. The delegates were coming from the airport. We believe that they were followed from the airport up to the entrance of the hotel. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you. And you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine here on Channel Africa. If you've just joined us, we're broadcasting from Johannesburg in South Africa. Good morning to you and welcome to our show. My name is Asanda Matsawanyani. Nigerian fuel marketers agreed to resume distribution on Monday after weeks of disruption led to chronic fuel shortages, bringing phone companies, banks and airlines to a standstill days before the inauguration of the country's new president. Yakubu Suleiman, spokesman for the Marketers Association, says the country's finance minister has now agreed to pay out 800 million U.S. dollars owed to the marketers. For more on this, Sakina Kamwendo spoke to Director of News at Voice of Nigeria, Ahazia Suleiman. We have been able to, um, because the serial strike started uh, over the weekend up to Monday, but if they had continued today, then it would have been extremely difficult for us to even to move out because banks had shortened the hours of operations, uh, media organizations, because we solely depend on use of generators mostly to carry out our operations would have been affected seriously. We had considered 
cutting down our hours of broadcast, but uh, with the calling off of the strike and the uh, commencement of the lifting of fuel yesterday night, I think uh, the situation will be much better. Our reserves were not already exhausted. We still have uh, some few uh, liters of fuel that we could use to go on air and do one or two things. And I believe this morning the banks will be able to extend the hours of uh, operations uh, from what it used to be because local time yesterday they closed at 1 o'clock, and, uh, which is not too good for business and other operations. Uh, but uh, believe you me, the Nigerian parliament yesterday, they intervened, they called a meeting between the uh, unions and uh, all stakeholders, including the Minister of Finance and all of us, and they broke out the peace. Because this week is a very important week for us in Nigeria. Uh, the first time we are going to transit from one uh, uh, an opposition party, the ruling party, into an opposition party. And so there are a series of activities that we learned out that started last week, Friday, Sunday, and going to the day up to Friday. So we thank God that uh, the unions were able to see reason to what the parliamentarians were, uh, told them, and they gave them assurance. The major thing is there was an assurance given to them an undertaking that uh, government is a continuity. Whatever they, they, to, they, they, they signed yesterday, the incoming government uh, will be able to implement. And so we are happy at least the, uh, the lifting of fuel from the depots started yesterday and uh, before the week runs out, uh, everywhere will be, uh, normalcy will have been restored. So what exactly will that incoming government be implementing, Ahazia? Uh, what is government's long-term plan with regard to oil refineries in Nigeria? Good. Uh, the incoming government has uh, a very good plan for the refineries. Um, Nigeria, a major oil-producing country, uh, believe you me, we have only four refineries, and even the four refineries in this country, they are not operating optimally. They are just... Some of them have not operated in the past one or two years. We export fuel, uh, crude oil, and we import uh, refined oil, which is not too good. Uh, it shows inconsistency and lack of um, plan, future plan, uh, for by the leaders in the past. And but the incoming government has vowed to revamp the Nigerian refineries and even uh, construct more refineries uh, that will refine local crude for domestic consumption and, if possible, it's, um, export to neighboring countries that require it. But in the past, they had never. And, uh, basically, that is why uh, we are having these problems. And uh, because of the corruption in the system, the oil industry system, because they know that is where the big cuts eat fat, and they don't like, uh, they, they wouldn't want anybody to interfere. But uh, everybody knows the incoming man is an incorruptible man, and uh, he's somebody that is forthright. Is somebody that uh, will not allow anybody to to do anything uh, funny. So uh, we are hoping and praying. All Nigerians are hoping and praying that when he comes, he will carry out investigations into the oil industry and ensure that uh, the reasons why the refineries are not working are tackled head on. Uh, basically, most of them they will release money for the refurbishment of the refineries. The money will not be used for the purpose of that. They prefer important and because of the oil subsidies what they import the way they import it they receive some incentives which runs into billions of dollars and so they want they prefer that in enjoying that incentives rather than to allow the refineries to work in the country and we're hoping and praying um, 
everybody's optimistic that the incoming administration is going to tackle that uh, aspect of it, the, the, basically the corruption aspect of it head on. And we, we know the man, Buhari, when he was head of state, he did that. Uh, so that is why Nigerians overwhelmingly voted for him, hoping that he would uh, stop corruption and impunity. That's Director of News at Voice of Nigeria, Ahazia Suleiman, talking to SFM Sakina Kamwendo. Now, on that topic, Nigerian fuel marketers agreed to resume distribution on Monday after weeks of disruption led to chronic fuel shortages. The Independent Petroleum Marketers Association of Nigeria had resolved to call off their campaign of depot closures after a meeting with the finance minister and lawmakers. Yakubu Suleiman, spokesman for the Marketers Association, says the finance minister has agreed to pay out 800 million U.S. dollars, as you've heard there, to the marketers, even though it is Africa's biggest crude producer. Nigeria has to import nearly all its fuel due to old or inadequate refineries. So our question today is what needs to be done to improve the management of oil resources in Nigeria? Give us your thoughts or your answers at info at channelafrica.co.za or email or send us an SMS to plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero or tweet us at rise shine africa or at channel africa one those are our two handles on twitter channel africa the voice of the african renaissance Nigerian nationals in the process of being extradited to the U.S. will today approach the High Court in Pretoria in an attempt to stop Justice and Correctional Services Minister Michael Masuta from surrendering them to U.S. authorities. Eight were detained last year following warrants of arrest from the U.S. on allegations of cybercrime and defrauding the U.S. Postal Services. Two of the eight were last week extradited to the U.S., a move their lawyer believes is unlawful as the matter is still before the courts. Pumzilem Langeni reports. Eight Nigerian nationals and a South African woman were detained last year at the Khosimampuru Correctional Services in Pretoria after the grand jury in America issued warrants of arrest on allegations of cybercrime for defrauding the U.S. Postal Service. Details on the South African woman are still unclear as she's not on the list. An extradition hearing was held at the Pretoria Magistrates Court and an order was made that the accused be detained in custody until Justice Minister Michael Masuta decides on their surrender. Their attorney, Tegasen Pillay, believes the order is unconstitutional. If we were to look at the particular order that was issued, it was our view that the order that was issued is against the Constitution as it allows for detention without trial, meaning that the minister who forms part of our executive and not the judicial system can decide on the freedom of a person and his extradition. And we believe that the act that allows the, the minister to do so is unconstitutional. While Pile lodged an agent interdict last week, on Thursday, two of the eight had been extradited to the U.S. Pile believes this was also done in an irregular manner as the state was supposed to wait for the matter to be concluded in court before they could be sent to America. We would have expected the state being an organ of government to respect due process and rather allow the due process to first unfold before 
any extradition or surrender takes place. Now, the accused persons were simply, two of them were simply called from the cell, summarily taken from what we heard by gunpoint through our entry point or exit point at OR Tambo Airport, put onto a plane and sent to the U.S. Now, the manner in which this was done was obviously irregular because we as attorneys, we were not informed of the fact that this has been done. Pillay says he's also seeking answers on the issue from the Home Affairs and International Relations Departments, the U.S. Embassy and the American airline, Delta Airline, which was allegedly used to transport the two accused to the U.S. The National Prosecuting Authority and also respondents to the matter say the court found the group extraditable. The Justice Department was unavailable for comment. Ampumzilim Langini in Pretoria. Civil society organizations in Lesotho have called on the government to ensure the security of former Prime Minister and leader of opposition All Basutu Convention, ABC, Tom Tabane, as well as leader of the Basutu National Party, BNP, Tisede Maseribane, as a matter of urgency. Human Rights Body Transformation Resource Center, TRC, says government must establish a commission of inquiry to explain its position or dismiss allegations that these opposition politicians are threatened by elements in the army after Tabane and Maseribane fled the country, fearing for their lives. Ntakwana Ngatani reports. Following the February 28 elections and the installation of a new coalition government of seven parties, security issues have not quite settled in Lesotho. The SADC-facilitated early election resulted from claims by former Prime Minister Tom Tabani that the army attempted to overthrow him that were disputed by his deputy, Mutejwa Metzing. This after he had failed to remove the then commander, Lieutenant General Zadiga Moody. It was clear at the time that Police Commissioner Khutazo Tswana, who was appointed by Tabani, was his ally. Tswana also claimed that he was under threat from the army. Tabani and Tswana fled to South Africa and returned under heavy Sarak guard. Now that the new government is in power, it has reappointed Army Commander Kamudi and appointed another acting police commissioner, leaving Tswana out of office with no indication of what his future is. All this... NGO Transformation Resource Center says is an indication that SADC has failed to resolve the security situation in Lesotho. We are expecting uh, the government will resolve uh, security issues. That's why we, to, we end up going for elections. But the, the problem of insecurity in this country still remains the same. So we are expecting the government to respond uh, immediately on, on what is happening and what is expected from, 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 the, from the public in order to have stability, which is, a, uh, is, a, is an aim of every individual to have. Last week, former Prime Minister and leader of opposition ABC, Tom Tabani, as well as BNP leader Tisili Masiribani, fled the country again, saying there are attempts on their lives. There are allegations of arrests of soldiers by the military police. The Lesotho Defense Force remains mum about their reasons for the so-called abductions, but when the families of two of the soldiers went to court demanding to see them, they appeared there in handcuffs and leg irons. TRC says the government should establish a fact-finding mission and compel the Lesotho Defense Force to explain why the soldiers are being held. It has issued a statement titled Condemnation of Abductions, Assassination Plots and Threats Against Courts of Law by Elements of the Lesotho Defense Force. TRC condemns any acts 
or statements that threaten the lives of the citizens of this country and calls upon the government of Lesotho to fulfill its mandate of ensuring the security of these two leaders as a matter of priority. To assure all citizens and residents of their personal safety and to take measures to bring those responsible for these threats to justify to justice quickly. The NGOs say they condemn allegations of threats by members of the army to judicial officers which have also been reported. Reports reaching TRC in the past few days in, indicate that on the 21st May 2015, some of the mysteriously detained LDF personnel were brought to the Palace of Justice by a group of masked and heavily armed soldiers who further harassed and intimidated staff of the judiciary. TRC deems it unacceptable to have heavily armed soldiers in the courts of law and we appeal to the LDF authorities to give a public explanation and apology about this unfortunate incident. Attempts to get comment from both the Lesotho Defence Force and the government have so far been fruitless, but TRC has appealed to ordinary citizens to report any acts of intimidation with proof for it to start documenting them for submission to the African Union. The authorities in South Sudan have announced that government troops have taken control of Malakal, the capital of oil-producing state of Upper Nile. Malakal has been under the control of a new rebel group led by a major general who defected from the government army. James Shimanyula has more. South Sudan town of Malakal has been taken back by the government troops after rebels belonging to a new group vacated following a warning from the capital Yuba that they should do so or risk being crushed. The control of Malakal, the capital of the oil-producing state of Upper Nile, was confirmed by South Sudan Defense Minister Paul Manyang Juk in an exclusive interview with me from the capital Yuba. The government troops have taken over Malakal. There was no fighting it was they were defeated and living behind some APCs, about five. And from there, uh, when the force advanced uh, this morning, they found that the town was a uh, vacant of the rebels. In other words, what you are saying is that uh, rebels vacated the town even before you landed there. Right. Where have they gone? They went west of the river, uh, running towards uh, Sudan. Don't you see that uh, it is dangerous for them to run because it's like a snake steel chest or rather leaving a house but still in the forest? No, they are not in the forest. We are sure they are not. What measures have you taken to ensure that uh, they don't take Malakal again? Well, we will have to take them to follow them to wherever they have gone to. Are you sure being a defense minister, Kuala Manyang Juk, you can cross into your neighbor's country, the north, El Bashir's country, and then uh, you start looking for rebels? Are you sure? In other words, rebels will never operate from there anymore. I don't think Sudan will uh, accept them again to, uh, to operate from there. Yeah, but now, are you sure that no rebel or rebels will come back to Malakal? I'm sure no rebels that will come back to Malakal. So there are no casualties because they evacuated? Right. Efforts to speak to the rebels about the recapture of Yuba by government troops failed to bear fruit 
when their telephone lines went unanswered. The occupation of Malakali by government troops comes at a time when the United Nations and the African Union Security Council are planning to impose sanctions on South Sudan government for failing to sign a peace agreement with the rebels in the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa. But South Sudan Foreign Affairs Minister Barnaba Mariale Benjamin says sanctions should be imposed on rebels and not the Juba government. There should be no sanctions on South Sudan. If it is the issue of escalation of fighting, it is the rebels that they should sanction because the rebels have been attacked government position and the government has got the constitutional right to protect the sovereignty and the territorial integrity of this country and to keep law and order and good governance. So they cannot equate. There is no moral equivalency at all between the government and the rebels. We are concerned because the system they are doing is wrong. The African Union Peace and Security Council should bring it to the General Assembly of the African Union where the 54 countries will sit and and see that the government has given all the compromises for a peaceful solution. The way forward, what I'm telling the African Union, is please, you support the EGAR peace process to continue. Because already now, the EGAR peace process, we have agreed on 90% of issues connected with the formation of the transitional government of national unity, with issues related to the government reconciliation. A lot has already been done. That's what they should be doing. They should not be looking around for areas which are inappropriate, like talking of sanctions. That was South Sudan Foreign Affairs Minister Barnaba Mariale Benjamin reporting for Channel Africa. This is James Shimanyulab. Africa Rise and Shine is the show you're listening to here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Good morning to you. My name is Asanda Matsaunyani. The repatriation of Somali refugees from the Debab refugee camp in northern Kenya has resumed. The exercise is being undertaken by the Kenyan and Somali governments in conjunction with the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. The relocation exercise was suspended last month due to heavy rains that affected roads and other means of transport in northeastern Kenya. Mwaegi Konyo reports from Nairobi. According to the Commissioner for Refugees in the Kenyan government, the relocation exercise for the gradual repatriation of Somali refugees from the Radab refugee camp in northern Kenya has resumed and up to 20 people will be returned per convoy in order to speed up the process and ensure as many refugees as possible go back to Somalia by the end of the year. The exercise was suspended last month due to heavy rains that affected roads and other means of transport in northeastern part of Kenya. So far, more than 2,000 Somali refugees have been repatriated since the process began early last month. The main refugee camp in northern Kenya, Dadaab Refugee Camp, has been in existence since 1991 when Somalia fell among warlords, farming, and later terrorism. Kenyan authorities had earlier given a 90-day notice to the United Nations Commissioner for Refugees to relocate the camp or else Kenya would forcibly relocate them inside Somalia. Kenya suspects that the Adab refugee camp has been the breeding ground for terrorists who a few months ago massacred more than 150 students at the Garissa University College. According to the Kenyan government, all refugees from the towns of Baidoa, Lugu and Kisimayu in Somalia should be more than willing to return home as the areas have been liberated by the Amazon forces and the Somali National Army. 
And according to the head of the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, Antonio Guterres, the agency has already identified eight specific areas where the Somali refugees will be hosted inside Somalia. We selected eight areas, eight districts inside Somalia where uh, uh, most of the population of Dadaab comes from would prepare a portfolio of projects for those regions in education, in health, in shelter, in land allocation to allow for conditions to be established for voluntary repatriation to be attractive and to be sustainable. The government directive on the Somali refugees has elicited fears debate in Kenya the government on one side and aid and human rights groups on the other. I think the conversation we should be having, rather than having this blanket condemnation of everybody in the refugee camp as possible terrorists, I think we should be able to say that is it all the 350 or about 600,000 refugees who are resident in both refugee camps in Dadaab and Kakuma that are terrorists? So I think we should be able to make that distinction very clearly and we must follow the law because uh, we cannot say wake up one morning just because of say the, the Garissa unfortunate situation, Westgate unfortunate situation, uh, Mandela 1, Mandela 2, Mpeketoni that today in three months let's close the camp. There are processes to be followed. I think we need to be able to establish that, you know, the situation back in Somalia as normal. Currently, there are about 50 NGOs in the Dab refugee camp involved in 17 areas of humanitarian work ranging from health, education, sanitation, food supply, transport, shelter and security. The Somali government has already accepted the repatriation of the refugees to their original homes. Daoud Mohammed a Somali official. We are ready to welcome and actually uh, we are waiting when those things be done all, everyone can be back to Somalia. The Somali government has also agreed to receive the refugees back home in order to rebuild their lives and participate in the reconstruction of their country. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Let's get our news headlines now here on Africa Rise and Shine with Anne Musa. A very good morning. At least 20 Kenyan police officers have been killed in an ambush by a suspected Al-Shabaab gunman in a village in the eastern county of Garissa. Burundi's opposition boycott peace talks with the government in protest at the killing of an opposition leader. And civil society organizations in Lesotho have called on the government to ensure the security of former Prime Minister and leader of the All-Basotho Convention, Tom Tabane, as well as leader of the Basotho National Party, this after they fled the country, claiming there are plots to assassinate them. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. Today is the 26th of May, 2015. It's a Tuesday. There are, it's the 146th day of 2015. There are 219 days left in the year. Today, this is what happened in 1988. South Africa and Mozambique revived the Nkomati Accord. The Accord's stated focus was on preventing Mozambique from supporting the African National Congress on the one hand and South Africa from supplying the Renamo on the other. In 1994 today, South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Mandela, announced that in order to promote national unity, he was willing to bring into government political parties that were not part of the government of national unity. 
1948, today apartheid becomes official policy in South Africa. Immediately after the 1948 election, the government began removing the remaining symbols of the historic British ascendancy and began institutionalizing their policies of segregation. In 1937, today, Egypt joins the League of Nations as its 59th member. In 1957, Algerian Vice President Ali Chekal is assassinated by Algerian nationalists while attending the French Football Cup final. Today, in 1967, Egyptian Premier Gamal Abdel Nasser vows to destroy Israel if war is provoked. In 1960, UN Ambassador Henry Cabot Lodge accused the Soviets of hiding a microphone inside a wood carving of the Great Seal of the United States that had been presented to the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. Today, in 1969, the Apollo 10 astronauts returned to Earth after a successful eight-day dress rehearsal for the first manned moon landing. In 1972 today, President Richard M. Nixon and Soviet leader Leonid Brezhnev signed the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty in Moscow. The U.S. withdrew from the treaty in 2002. And then finally today, in 1994, Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie Presley were married in the Dominican Republic. The marriage, however, ended in 1996. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, reveille Africa, Africa, wema. Sun rises. Le soleil élevé. Weya wema. What's in the happen Africa? Africa, Dumelang Sanbonani. Africa, Mulishani, Mulibonji. Africa, Enyomi, Kilonshele. Africa, Ndinkim, Kinkunume. What's in the happen Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, South Africa, Swaziland, Morocco, Botswana, Gabon, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from, we are one people, Channel Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G-Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You're listening to Channel Africa here, uh, broadcasting from Johannesburg in South Africa. Just remi- a reminder, if you'd like to send views on our show, our Twitter handle is at RiseShineAfrica. You can email also info at channelafrica.co.za. Let's hear from you. Nobel Peace Prize laureate and former head of the UN's nuclear watchdog, Dr. Mohamed El Baradei, says self-reliance and reduction of Africa's over-dependency on foreign trade is key to unlocking the continent's economic potential. El Baradei was delivering the 6th Tabombegi Africa Day lecture at the University of South Africa in Pretoria last night. Tsepo Ikaneng was there. The renowned Egyptian diplomat Mohamed El Baradei is in the country at the invitation of the Tabombegi Foundation. His visit coincided with the commemoration of the 52nd anniversary of the formation of the Organization of African Unity, which is now called the African Union. El Baradei is credited for playing a key role in addressing the issue of nuclear non-proliferation in countries such as Iraq. He opposed the 2003 U.S.-led war against Iraq, arguing that the Arab state did not have any nuclear weapons. 
It's because of this principal stand that El Day and the International Atomic Energy Agency were awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 2005. This was for their outstanding contribution to the maintenance of international peace and security. This is how former President Tabombeki introduced El Day to the audience at the public lecture last night. And we're very, very pleased indeed, Dr. Baraday, when we saw the announcement that you, together with the International Atomic Energy Agency, had been awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Partly because, uh, Dr. Baraday, over the recent years, if I may say this, many people who get the Nobel Peace Prize, when you look, you say, what kind of peace have they brought us? It requires different prizes, not peace prizes for some of these people, but for you, the peace prize is appropriate. <laughs> Delivering the Tabumbegi Africa Day lecture, El Baraday, who used to work for the United Nations, has lashed out at the world body, accusing it of being weak and failing to respond to global social and security threats. Our international institutions, including the United Nations system of organization, to which I was part, have become anachronistic. They suffer from structural deficiencies, a lack of authority, and resources. As a result, they have become polarized and paralyzed. Ironically, our most significant global threats today are threats without borders, poverty, terrorism, climate change, weapons of mass destruction. They all need international cooperation. No one country can overcome them on its own. On Africa, El Day said much still needs to be done to harness the continent's economic potential. Africa uses only 3% of its water for hydropower. The equivalent figure for South Asia is 52%. An upgraded power sector that reduces power outages and achieves universal electricity access in urban areas. Two, deeper regional cooperation by expanding markets and unlocking a greater share of the continent hydropower potential, and three, more efficient and transparent financing of essential improvement to infrastructure. On a parting shot, El Baradi expressed optimism that the African continent will rise and emerge as one of the world's leading economic growth regions. And we have to recognize that none of us is going to prevail alone. We will either swim together or think together. And Nelson Mandela reminds us that it always seems impossible until it is done. I truly believe, and you should too, that Africa can. Thank you very much. Mohamed El Baradi will today interact with students of the University of South Africa enrolled in the Tabumbegi African Leadership Institute. Tsepo UNISA Pretoria. African Union Commission Chairperson Kosazana Lamini Zuma says African countries fail to realize that one of their most precious resources are the youth. With the average population only being 24 years, she says the continent should invest in young people's skill development to boost economic growth. Lamini Zuma was engaging with students at Wits University on Monday as part of Africa Day commemorations. Mabu Boloka and Noma Bolani compiled this report. 
So I think the youth definitely need to be the drivers of change. But I also think that we need to start realizing that in Africa we have a situation where the old are refusing to leave and the young are refusing to rise. And it's not going to be solved through campaigns. It needs to be a structural change within the way the government actually sees us. That was acting with SRC President Shaira Kala saying African governments need to realize that the youth have to be in the forefront in bringing positive change to the continent. So I believe we have a huge role to play, firstly in skills development and it's our responsibility as the educated youth to take it down to our communities and empower the young ones after us. I heard earlier today that the Free State Government invited or went to Cuba to get engineers to deal with some of the housing issues in the province. And that's a sign that our government does not have space for us as young people. These students believe quality education and skills development for the youth is the first and biggest step to addressing many of the continent's woes, such as slow economic growth and poverty. African Union Commission Chairperson Gosazana Dlamini-Zuma says the youth must realize that economic growth is led by skills development, not just policies or political engagements. Because if you don't get the youth to understand that there will be no economic freedom without the skills revolution, we will forever be fighting. So it's important to make sure that the two go together. Lamini Zuma elaborates the importance of skills development using Ethiopia's investment of higher learning and training to uplift the economic standing. In our document, that's how we put it actually, that Africa needs a skills revolution. I'll tell you what Ethiopia is doing in education. They started, I think, 25 years ago maybe with only three universities. Now they have 33. And what they've done, 70% of their intake is in STEM. It's not too much. It's actually what we need. If we are going to create jobs, if we are going to industrialize, if we are going to innovate, that's what we need. Ethiopia is overtaken by far SAA. SAA used to be the biggest airline. It's no longer. It's now Ethiopian Airways. That is the biggest airline on the continent. You skill your people, they figure out what to do. In addition to lack of skills, Lamini Zuma says African countries and their governments are failing to create a sustainable intercontinental trading market. Why don't we trade amongst ourselves? There are two main constraints. One is infrastructure, but two is that we don't manufacture. What are we going to trade? Because you have to, well, to trade, you have to have manufactured goods that you trade. We have unemployment, but you are quite happy to export our raw materials with the jobs that go with it, with the revenue that comes with finished goods, we export. And then we sit and cry and march. We want jobs. But there are the jobs on the maritime highways going away. The AU Commission chairperson says African governments need to invest more in the youth and recognize that young people can play pivotal roles to bring about positive change to the continent. That report by Noma Bolani. Abari, etise, mache, mingabu, baoni, kedu, mbote, ndemne, bonsoir. Join me, Richard Mwamba, for a brand new music show on Channel Africa called Africa in Song every Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. 
Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, réveille-toi. Africa, Africa, wema. Sun rising. Le soleil élevé. Weya, wema. What's in the happen, Africa? Africa, du melang, san bonani. Africa, mulishani, mulibwanji. Africa, en yomi, kilon shele. Africa, ndinkim, kinkunume. What's in the happen, Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, South Africa, Swaziland, Morocco, Botswana, Gabon, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from. We are one people. Channel Africa. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa Rise and Shine is the show you're listening to here on Channel Africa. Good morning to you. I'm Asanda Mazaunyane. Right now, though, it's time for our economics news with Wisani Matebula. Thanks, Asanda. African economies will grow 4.5% this year and 5% in 2016, approaching levels last seen before the 2007 global financial crisis. The African Development Bank says this as economic prospects improve worldwide. The AFDB estimates that Africa's gross domestic product will expand by 3.9% in 2014, despite sharp falls in international commodity and oil prices which uh, includes Ebola epidemic and pockets of political instability and armed conflict. Nobel Peace Prize laureate and former head of the UN's nuclear watchdog, Dr. Mohamed El-Baradei, says self-reliance and reduction of Africa's over-dependence on foreign trade is key to unlocking the continent's economic potential. El-Baradei was delivering the 6th Tabumbeki Africa Day lecture at the University of South Africa in Pretoria last night. The renowned Egyptian diplomat is in the country at the invitation of the Tabombeki Foundation. His visit coincides with the commemoration of the 52nd anniversary of the formation of the Organization of African Unity, which is now called the African Union. El Paradei says much still needs to be done to harness Africa's economic potential. Africa uses only 3% of its water for hydropower. The equivalent figure for South Asia is 52%. An upgraded power sector that reduces power outages and achieves universal electricity access in urban areas. Two, deeper regional cooperation by expanding markets and unlocking a greater share of the continent hydropower potential. And three, more efficient and transparent financing of essential improvement 
to infrastructure. South Africa's economic growth is expected to have slowed in the first quarter, mainly due to electricity supply constraints. Most economists predict that the gross domestic product will decline sharply from 4.1% to 1.4% quarter on quarter. States SA will release their GDP figures today, as well as the country's unemployment figures. Liston Mankis of Sasfin Asset Managers says the poor are already bearing the brunt of a weak economy. Now, the curious part to all of this is that, you know, if you look on the roads, you see the cars running well. You go to the shopping malls, they're pretty full. You go to restaurants, you've actually got to sit and wait for a table. So what I tell everybody is there are two South Africans running here. But if you look at the vast majority, uh, times are extremely tough. And uh, if, if I've got to look at, uh, you know, who's hiring new staff, can't find that. And the Communications Workers' Union has rejected South African mobile operator MTN's latest offer, saying it falls short of its demands. The union says it will intensify its strike across the country until the demands are met. So far, the mobile operator has agreed to appoint temporary call center workers into permanent positions and to pay employees double for working on Sundays. It has not met the union's demands of a 12% bonus as well as a 10% wage increase. MTN has suggested private arbitration, but the union says it wants the deadlock to go to the CCMA. CWU President Clyde Mervin says members are determined to continue with the strike. When it comes to the whole issue of increase and the whole issue of the bonus payment, flat right, they are not having any move. Those are the main, main issues workers were striking for. So as Communication Workers Union, we are going to unleash all our ammunition to MTN. Financial indicators, the dollar 11.87, South African rand at 9.47, Botswana Pula and 7.09 against the Zambian Kwacha, also at 0.642, the British pound and 0.90 against the euro. On to the commodities market, gold is at $1,204, platinum $1,141, a fine ounce, Brent crude oil is now at $63.60 per barrel. That's how it's looking. Thank you, Wisani. Let's get sports news now with Tammy Kuza. Good morning. FIFA's referees development officer Carlos Manuel Neves Henriques has challenged Nigeria's early referees to start performing at the same level as the national teams of Nigeria. The South Africans spoke at the opening ceremony of the FIFA member associate early referees course in Abuja yesterday. He was referring to the fact that the under-20 national team, the Flying Eagles, will play at the 2015 FIFA Under-20 World Cup in New Zealand, while the Falcons are also in Canada for the FIFA Women's World Cup finals. Nigerian Football Federation Deputy Secretary General Dr. Emmanuel Ipembe, who represented the NFF President Amadou Melvin Pinnick, says that they can't wait to see Nigerian referees take their place at the top table of the international game. 
The shocks continued in South Africa's Kosafa Cup 2015 quarterfinals as Ghana were ousted by Madagascar in yesterday's first match at the Royal Bafokeng Sports Palace. Following on from the exit for defending champion Zambia and host South Africa on Sunday, it was another major surprise at the tournament where Mozambique ended their last four spot with the penalty win over Malawi. It means Namibia will take on Madagascar in Thursday's semi-final, followed by Botswana against Mozambique. There also will be a new champion in 2015 with none of the competition's previous winners that is Zambia, Zimbabwe, South Africa or Angola having made it to the semi-finals. South Africa's Bafana Bafana coach Sheikh Mashaba says that he has already spotted good talent for South Africa's next month 2017 Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers against Gambia on the 17th of June. Bafana Bafana were booted out of the Kosafa Cup after just one match when they lost 7-6 on penalties to neighbours Botswana in Pukeng on Sunday. Bafana will play in a plate semi-final against Malawi tomorrow. Mashaba says that the match will give players more opportunity to shine this game that is coming it's an opportunity for all of us not only the players i mean for them to do well and win this uh, game it will mean yes we can do something as players and as technical committee yes we managed to rectify going to the final it's a bonus i think uh, that will expose more because by the time they get there they'll be prepared and ready to 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 show themselves to showcase themselves what do they have and express themselves Mashaba says will push to win the next edition of the Kosafa Cup. You can never claim you want to go win AFCON or the World Cup when you are not a champ in your region. You've got to demand the uh, authority in the southern region to say, you're the bosses, you've got to go out there. One thing I would like to make an example, you must look at the 96 when we won our first uh, AFCON. Orlando Pirates have just won the star in 1995. So this is what we are looking at, we saying, this Kosafa, the next time, the next edition comes, whether we like it or not, we've got to win it. And finally, Britain's Endemare opened his last campaign for a first French Open victory with a 6-3-6-3-6-1 win over Argentina Fecundo Aguelo yesterday. Mari is the is in the same half of the Roland Garros draw as favorite Novak Djokovic and nine times champion Rafael Nadal could play world number eight David Ferrer in the quarterfinals. Chris Powers reports. Rafael Nadal was just 18 years old when he began the 2005 French Open, the first of his nine titles. Now 28, he begins the quest for a 10th Roland Garros crown against an 18-year-old Frenchman, Quentin Alice. Nadal is fully expected to win today, but he's often vulnerable in his first match of a tournament, and all eyes will be on him to see if he actually looks as vulnerable as we think he is, or whether being on the Paris clay will put a spring in his step after his least impressive clay court season since before he began winning titles here. His main rival these days, Novak Djokovic, also plays his first match today. He's last on against the Finnish veteran Jarko Niemannen. Djokovic is Kevin Anderson's projected fourth-round opponent, and the South African plays his opening match at about one o'clock against Tim Smitsek, the American who so nearly beat Nadal at the Australian Open in January. Anderson reached the fourth round here last year, so this may well be about defending his ranking points and having a decent crack at Djokovic in the fourth round, and of course playing himself into form in time for the grass court season to follow. That's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa and back to Asando Matsaunyane.
Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Tami. Let's recap our top stories from this hour. Lesotho opposition leaders fear for their lives. South Sudan army retakes Malakal town from rebels. Repatriation of Somali refugees resumes in Kenya. In economics, Nigeria fuel marketers end distribution embargo or they are to end it. And in sports, FIFA official challenges of uh, Nigerian referees. That's where we end Africa Rise and Shine on this Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Uh, that's from me, Asanda Matsaunyani, our producer, Pumuzo Ramakadza, our technical producer, Mario Edwards, and the rest of the team, that's Anne, uh, Wisani, and Tami. For comments on our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za. You can also SMS plus 27-796-957-930 or tweet at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour, here is Salif Keita with a track titled Nyanyama.
Here you go. 